0: Yo, Rob Harvilla from 60 Songs That Explain the 90s here to inform you that we are back with 30 more songs because the 90s were super long and had a ton of rad music. Please join us every Wednesday for more 60 Songs That Explain the 90s, only on Spotify. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running
1: shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Hello! And welcome to Trial by Content, the podcast where we force our favorite pop culture to compete in the coliseum of contentious opinion so we all can decide what wins. Each week, your three humble hosts will debate a pop culture topic, set the specific rules, and rumble until a consensus is reached. Then, with input from you, the listener base, we will smash together our nominations with yours and determine a final four-nominee poll that will decide the one true Trial by Content winner.
0: Hello, I'm Dave Gonzalez. I'm Joanna Robinson. And I'm Neil
1: Miller. And this week, there may be no small parts, just small actors, but that goes double for the well-executed surprise cameo. The jolt of seeing an unexpected face or feeling an unexpected presence may not save a bad movie, but it can make a lasting impression. It probably would have been a good gimmick to have a special guest for this episode, but alas, we're not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with us for Trial by Content's best surprise cameo In a movie. But first, we have a score to settle from last week. Joanna, how did we do with our our Star Trek adventure?
2: Well, I don't know if you recall, but we had this long discussion of, like, should we let the listener have Data and Spock uh, on the Star Trek poll, or should we not? Uh, And we let them, and then they beat us handily. So, listener Jeff picked Data and Spock for their away team, and uh, the listeners voted a resounding 40% for that. Dave got kind of close... With his Riker seven of nine combo at twenty, like essentially thirty percent. And the rest, Neil, do you agree we don't need to talk about the other percentages on this list?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's clear that we we know where the party is. It's with the group that finished in last. And that's <laughs> all I need us. to say. I do think it's funny that someone very quickly on Twitter asked, like, Oh my god, how did the listeners get data and Spock? And the answer, dear friends, is that we like all of you and we want you to have nice <laughs> things. And congratulations on your big win.
2: <laughs> yeah, The listeners get it this week. Dave comes in second. Joanna and Neil are fine. Just fine. We're fine. fine.
0: Totally fine. <laughs> yeah.
2: The reason we're talking about surprise cameo this week is uh, because, I don't know if you know this, dear listener, but a Marvel movie came out over the weekend. Judging by the box office, you probably saw it. But just in case you didn't, I'm just here to let you know that before we get into our larger debate, right now we're going to talk about Doctor Strange for a little while. And all spoilers are on the table, including big spoilers having to do with the topic this week so if you do not want to know them and have somehow avoided them up to this point i i applaud you and i urge you to turn this off and and listen
1: to it later when you've seen the movie or vote 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 me then turn it off
2: uh or vote the listener and then turn it off i don't know um but yeah we're here to talk about dr strange so with that carlos lee play our first clip
0: Stephen strange the illuminati will see you now Marvel Studios, Doctor Strange.
2: Yeah, that was just a trailer for Doctor Strange, but it's the only clip <laughs> we have <laughs> of Chutala Far as a uh, Mordo saying the word Illuminati. So the Illuminati, which is a uh, Brian Michael Bendis creation from the comics, show up in Doctor Strange in the middle of the movie to surprise and dazzle, dazzle audiences with some cameos. Dave, do you want us to run down the uh, the lineup? The Illuminati? Sure.
1: We have the previous Baron Carl Mordo, which you talked about, which in the 838 universe is part of the Illuminati as uh, the Sorcerer Supreme. You have uh, Captain Carter, not necessarily the what-if one, but a no- another variant of uh, Captain Carter played by Haley Atwell. You have Anson Mount returning from Inhuman, surprisingly, as Black Bolt, but this time with a comic-accurate costume. You have uh, Patrick Stewart as Professor Xavier, but the animated series variant in the flesh. And uh, then you have some uh, John Krasinski as Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four, and Maria Rambeau, who is played by Lashana Lynch, who is back from Captain Marvel uh, and is apparently in this universe uh, absorbed the power of the super engine and become Captain Marvel herself.
2: Okay, so plenty of this is exciting, but we should say that Marvel put Patrick Stewart's voice in a trailer. So despite Patrick Stewart being like, I'm not in this movie, (laughs) uh, we were pretty sure Patrick Stewart was in the movie. They put uh, Captain Marvel and Captain Carter in a a TV spot trailer. So if you're paying attention to that, you probably saw that. Probably most people don't even know who Black Bolt is, so and maybe they're they're making a mistake in their life and not watching the new Star Trek, so they don't know who Anson Mount is, so that didn't dazzle them. But I don't know about your theater, but my theater erupted in cheers and, and applause and lost their mind when John Krasinski showed up as Reed Richards. So Neil, how was this Krasinski experience for you?
0: I mean, I think it was fun. This actually was one of the ones I was not expecting. I had kind of guessed from you know the fact that they had put uh Haley Atwell in what if that like you know maybe a Captain Carter would show up. And all these other ones are are super fun, but when Krasinski showed up as Reed Richards, my theater also, which was like a late night Sunday night, like me and 15 of my closest weirdo friends on a Sunday evening really did lose it for the Reed Richards thing. But you know, I also appreciate Sam Raimi for Populating this with a bunch of fun cameos and then doing terrible things to those characters.
2: All right, we're going to talk about the pile of noodles that is Reed Richards in a second. But, but Dave, given that you were, uh, you had read about the lineup in advance, knowing Dave as we do, he, he likes his uh, pre knowledge when he sees film and television. How did it hit for you? If you knew the lineup going in, so you're not doing the gasp of shock, surprise that John Krasinski's here, uh, did it work for you otherwise knowing it going in?
1: It did because it's nice to see these characters, but it felt uh, very modular knowing it going in, Uh, especially since uh, the way it's like sort of shot, it seems like some of those people could have been swapped in or swapped out. Uh, Elizabeth Olsen in a sense said there was a lot of, she wasn't around for reshoots, so there was a lot of people she just like straight up didn't meet that co-starred with her in this movie. So I like that aspect of it because I think that hints towards the overall importance and although it was very fun to see John Krasinski's Reed Richards, uh, I wouldn't mind if that was the last time I saw John Krasinski's Reed Richards, if you know what I mean.
2: Okay, we can return to that in a second. Um, I do think even if you hadn't read any of the other rumors leading up to the movie, like the rumor that perhaps Bruce Campbell would have been uh, appearing on that council in another role, Sean Fennessey and Chris Ryan over in The Big Pick, they are not, they do not trade in spoilers at all. And they were like, Interesting that John Krasinski's eye line didn't line up with anyone, so I think a lot of us are pretty sure that Krasinski was not in the same room as anyone when he filmed uh, his part as Reed Richards, that that was a late addition. The lighting was also a little off on him. That's fine. It's fine. Do you not want to see Krasinski back as Reed Richards because you felt like he wasn't giving you the Reed Richards you knew from the comics?
1: I think a little bit. It makes sense for where Reed Richards is in his life, and he talks about this in the movie. He already has kids. The Baxter Foundation is obviously large enough to support uh, this sort of Illuminati uh, multiverse technology. He's got square portals up and working that get apparently you know, very com- comic book accurate. But I think the Reed Richards that I know from the comics and the ones that have become popularized Uh, when the Fantastic Four can peek its head into comics lore uh, without Marvel publishing getting mad, is kind of a dick, and they've acknowledged that, and this read is just very soft. And I kind of understand in a Doctor Strange movie where uh, Doctor Strange is very much the Tony Stark replacement, where he's tearing apart the multiverse, trying to protect it, much like Tony Stark created Ultron, trying to protect the world. Uh, so I can see why you don't need more of that intensity in the same movie. But I'm hoping that the Fantastic Four includes that part of Reed because I think he needs to have that patriarchal control feeling that people need to bounce against in his superhero family.
2: What about you, Neil? Are you like, uh, all right, Krasinski, <laughs> you did it. Now you're a pile of noodles. Get out of here. Or do you want more Krasinski in your Marvel life?
0: Well, I mean, I think it's a really fun way because Krasinski as Reed Richards has sort of been an idea that's been around for a while, right? As like a fan casting thing. and I think a lot of it comes from a desire to see like Krasinski and Emily Blunt play, you know, the Reed Richards and Sue Storm. Sue Storm. That's right. That's her name. So I think it's a fun way to give fans a little bit of what they want. And then moments later, turn him into noodle salad and he's gone. I think I agree with Dave. I don't necessarily want or need John Krasinski as Reed Richards. I've seen several different iterations, and I'd like to see something a little bit more different this next time uh, that they do Fantastic Four. But I like this. This is one of the benefits of going into the multiverse for Marvel, is that you can Mm -hmm. spend uh, 20 minutes in the middle of your movie going to a world where all kinds of fun, different versions of these characters exist. And then you can have Let's let's say a really powerful character show up and just roast all of them in quick succession. And that's it. You don't have to ever come back to that. You know, that just happened somewhere in the multiverse. And uh, I'm into that. And yeah, I don't I don't think I need any more Krasinski as Reed Richards.
2: For people who love Krasinski and and also keep the flame alive of the idea of the entire Krasinski Blunt family
0: uh
2: joining the MCU. I encourage you to go look up some of the things that Emily Blunt has said about Marvel movies. Despite the fact that she was originally cast as Black Widow, find some recent interviews and tell me if you think Emily Blunt is gonna do a Marvel movie. That doesn't mean Krasinski won't. Krasinski is very much game and wants to do one, but he's in
0: one currently, so he
2: he sure is. Dave, given that you don't maybe want Krasinski, who would you cast as Reed Richards?
1: Who would I cast as Reed Richards? Oh, that's a good question. I'm going to take Raul Cooley for my Reed Richards of the future. Uh, I think he can, you know, play a little bit more of the age gap, but also he could have that uh, toughness in, in parenting that I, that I loved him in, uh, in doing the Midnight Mass. I, I want to I wanna see him go that, in that direction. Can
0: I plus one this to say that if this happens, we also need Hamish Linklater as Dr. Doom? in this movie great
2: great, just a midnight mass just
0: yeah and let flanagan do it it's fine he's not doing anything
2: roll coley from the flanagan verse or from uh i zombie if you're an old school fan i once got an elevator with him which meant that i was like three feet away from his beard and can i just tell you it is the most beautiful thing i've ever seen in my entire life it's up there so if 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 we're doing a beard off krasinski loses that's for sure I gotta I also I have to plus two you. I think I think we are all agreed on who should play Reed Richards. I love this for us. Yeah, we've we've trialed
1: my content, casted it. <laughs> Excellent.
2: I guess my other question is like because there was obviously this is what No Way Home is built around, around this nostalgia of Remember Doc Ock, remember the Green Goblin, remember this, remember that. Mm-hmm. We're going to put all these characters in here. And then this has some of that, too, in that, like, remember... Uh, and that Danny Elfman goes,
1: yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh Remember that, but also here's Haley Atwell. Uh, you know, like, th- things you remember from us, things you remember from other properties, things we're pitching towards the future. Here's a bunch of appearances to titillate the audience, and my audience just ate it up with a spoon. They loved it. Is there... An upper like is there a danger of cameo fatigue in the MCU, or do you think the limit doesn't exist, Neil?
0: I mean, I definitely think that there is a possibility of cameo fatigue because you can't just keep doing "Hey, I remember this" forever. I mean, Star Wars might try it, but I don't know if the MCU could survive on it, and also I don't know if the MCU is. Only interested in that. Having watched all of Moon Knight recently and having Moon Knight not scratch any of those particular itches is a good sign for like the MCU as a whole. I also like that even though they are there is some nostalgia. I mean, putting Professor Charles Xavier as played by um, Sir Patrick Stewart is the ultimate sort of going digging all the way back to the, the first dalliance into Marvel movies. But uh, I think they do enough to make the characters interesting and different. And again, short lived. I think that's a huge piece of this puzzle: is that these characters are only really there for like one sequence of the movie, and the movie goes on to become something uh, of its own later. You know,
1: I think we're at the upper limit because I think Multiverse of Madness and, like you were describing, uh, Far from Home. I'm I'm sorry, uh, No Way Home, are cinematic nostalgia and therefore are placed in key points uh, in the plot of the movie. Whether or not that then hijacks whatever movie they're in, I think they're still trying to feel out. But it, it's a big difference, I think, between like the way we used to do superhero cameo movies, which it's like if you'd read the comics, you'd recognize the Cosmic Cube or whatever. Now it's already gone back on itself. So at least for Marvel, they're in a place where they could introduce somebody and tell you this is blank and um, we're going to be able to accept it. And again, I think a lot of this is just paving the way for when someone shows up with snicked Wolverine claws, we're just immediately like, we know this person, this character, and we don't have to spend a whole bunch of time. We just have to go, once again, and everybody will be like, all right, I know what we're doing now.
2: You hear that, Taron tin, Get your claws ready. <laughs> um. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: I mean, I think the real theme here is, hey, remember Danny Elfman and how hard Danny Elfman can go? <laughs> That's what I learned from Doctor Strange, too.
2: I did this on the Ringiverse a couple times already this morning, so people have already heard me do it. But, like, can we just shout out the Danny Elfman guitar in this? Like, yeah. Is just goes, like, way Like, a couple times when <laughs> Doctor Strange, like, does something... Totally metal.
0: Here's a question. While you were watching Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, did you, like me, every time there was a guitar riff, see images of Danny Elfman at Coachella in your mind? Like, that's the energy Danny Elfman yeah. had when he was recording this score. And I think that's perfect. It, it worked out Loved great.
2: It. Yeah, I mean, that's really all we have to say about Strange, I think, unless there's anything else you guys want to talk about.
0: Pizza Papa always gets paid, man.
2: Oh, Pizza Papa. That's another, that's another excellent cameo in the, in the film. And I think that we're going to talk about this in a second, but you know, Marvel just has done a lot to change the cameo game. Let's, let's talk about that in a second. Before we get to that, Neil, do you want to run down the rules for the debate this week?
0: Absolutely. So as you know, we're talking about the best surprise cameo in a movie, which means that your choice for best surprise cameo in a movie must be someone making a surprise cameo however you choose to define that, in a movie. I did look up the definition of cameo, and here's what Dictionary.com had to say. Cameo is a small character part in a play or movie played by a distinguished actor or celebrity. So we're looking for small parts played by a distinguished or otherwise notable human. And in this category, there are some real champions, but I think that, you know, we mentioned Bruce Campbell. He's great. He shows up in a lot of things, especially if Sam Raimi's around. But there's one guy uh, very directly related to the cinema of comic books who really elevated the entire cameo game. And that, of course, is Stan Lee, who made his first feature film cameo in the 1990 Larry Cohen film The Ambulance. Classic. uh, Which stars Eric Roberts. (laughs) Um, Stan also showed up in a bunch of... TV shows and animated series. And of course, starting with X-Men in 2000, he showed up in just about every Marvel movie that existed until he passed. And uh, perhaps most surprisingly, at least in my own cinematic journey uh, in the mid-90s, was the moment he showed up to give Jason Lee a little bit of relationship advice in Kevin Smith's 1995 film Mallrats. Let's give it a listen. So you created each character as a way to do with your one big regret. Yeah, the girl that got away. Look, do yourself a favor, Brody. Don't wait, because all the money, all the women, even all the comic books in the world, they can't substitute for that one person. I don't know all the comics in the world. Trust me, true believer. Well, good talking to you.
1: Keep up all the good work. You keep reading them. I'll keep writing them.
0: So there he is, Stan the Man, Aww. giving some relationship advice. We would go on, of course, in Mallrats uh, to immediately find out that it was all a ruse set up by one of Brody's friends, and Stan was basically leading him on and just trying to uh, get Brody's life back on a good path. But, uh, but yeah, 1995. And then you know to think of, of how many cameos Stan would put together in this century in all of the Marvel movies. So our category crown this week, Stan Lee, all time, RIP. Our category clown is also comic book movie related. <laughs> and
2: this might be controversial.
0: <laughs> this controversial take comes uh, from our own Dave Gonzalez, but I, I think I agree mostly with this. Uh, the category clown for this one is characters that make their first appearance in post credit scenes and are not played by Samuel L. Jackson. So I guess what we're saying here is that Sam Jackson did it at the end of Iron Man, and that was the last time we really wanted to see that happen. So if you are like a Styles brother.
1: Eddie of the second tier uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, and it's like five credit scenes. Wow,
2: eat shit Michelle Yeoh and Harry Styles, completely so. unpopular people. Eat shit
1: Charlize Theron. Right, I was going to say, oh, or more recently, if you're
0: Charlize Theron. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's not their fault that they've signed on to play a character. It's the movie's fault that they're like, the best way to introduce this is nonsense at the end of some other movie.
2: I do want to say quickly on the Sam Jackson beat, and this is something like a lot of people know, but um, the idea that they put him in there, not uh, to to Dave's earlier point about putting characters in Marvel movies and not explaining who they are, I think it's interesting that when they put Sam Jackson in, Feige was like, "I think this is just for a niche little select group of people." But then the story that he likes to tell is that, like, opening weekend entertainment weekly had an an explainer out being like, this is who Nick Fury is, right? And then now there's just one gajillion explainer articles out for every single cameo that's in a Marvel movie. So, yeah, they never have to explain anything again because that's the internet's job (laughs) to explain it for
0: them. (laughs) So, yes, our category clown is uh, anybody in a post credit scene and explainer culture at large.
2: Fair. Guilty, which is me, by (laughs) the way. That's my job.
0: All three of us have, have, you know, uh, dipped our toe into that water. Uh, All right. That brings us to our pre trial dismissals, a very important part of every episode where we take a list of great contenders that you will not hear mentioned in this debate. Up first, of course, is everyone from our previous debate of actors playing themselves. Uh, Many of these count as fantastic cameos. But for this one, I think we were more. at least based on what we've chosen, we were looking for famous actors or celebrities playing an actual character, not necessarily uh, playing themselves, but we're going to start the rest of this list with someone playing themselves, and that is Bob Barker in Happy Gilmore, Uh, especially because I don't think we mentioned him in that previous actors Playing Themselves debate.
1: No, no. And it hurt my heart. Uh,
0: It probably hurt many people. Uh, It hurts me as I say it. But Bob Barker showing up to beat the shit out of Adam Sandler in Happy Gilmore is amazing. Uh, We also have some where people are playing characters, notably Kate Blanchett showing up in Hot Fuzz, completely covered up as a crime scene investigator. We also have a really great one from the end of the Muppet movie. Uh, a true legend in, in many, many ways, Orson Welles, showing up at, to upstage what is a movie full of cameos, including one from the great Steve Martin. But it all ends with Orson Welles, and we have a clip of Kermit and Orson Welles having a little conversation here.
1: Please, sir. Uh, my name is Kermit the Frog, and, and we read your ad, and, well, we've come to be rich and famous.
0: It's Tracy. Prepare the standard rich and famous contract for Kermit the Frog and company. There he is, as Lew Lord, Orson Welles, legendary hater, French champagne enjoyer.
2: <laughs> 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 and, <The> French champagne.
0: <laughs> and from time to time, great filmmaker, great cameo. Speaking of great cameos, uh, this next item on the list is two actors playing basically the same character. No, literally the same character in two different movies. It's Sean Connery and Sir Patrick Stewart, relevant to this week's topic of Doctor Strange, uh, as King Richard, both of them in Robin Hood: Prince and Thieves and Robin Hood: Men and Tights, respectively. Back to Spider Man for a second. We've of course got J.K. Simmons popping up in Spider Man: Far From Home as J. Jones Jameson, sort of crossing over in different areas of the multiverse. Uh, we have one presidential entry of former president Barack Obama in Pitch Perfect 2. Shout out to Pitch Perfect. We have Bruce Willis showing up in the movie Split. That one really got me in a theater. I remember uh, not not knowing that those movies were related, and there he is, Bruce Willis. Uh, we have Ming-Na Wen in Move On. That's another excellent one. We have Wes Craven in Scream, showing up in his own franchise. We have Brad Pitt, who has shown up in many a great movie and many a small role, but none perhaps as shocking, literally and figuratively, ah. as when he was in Deadpool 2.
1: See what you did there. Yes.
0: And we also have Keith Richards, who showed up at one point as a swarthy pirate to go alongside Johnny Depp's swarthy pirate in Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. And finally, this is one that we would be completely remiss if we didn't clip, especially since we are combining. Superhero cinema and great cameos. This is seven seconds of glory of Hugh Jackman in X Men: First Class. Let's hear it. Excuse me, I'm Eric Lentra. Charles Xavier, go fuck yourself. <laughs> Clean, <laughs> nice and easy. <laughs> Uh, so, there you have it. Some great options that are not any of the options we have chosen. So, I think that means we can get into the debate now.
1: All right. That means it's going to be time for our opening remarks, where each host has one minute to give an initial pitch for their choice. We are going to go, since the listener won, just in the next order, which we'll, we will begin with me, then Joanna, and uh, then Neil. Let's kick it off. <music> Here we go. There's nothing obvious about my pick for Best Surprise Cameo, because you could watch the entire movie called Hook, starring Dustin Hoffman and Robin Williams, without noticing that Glenn Close is actually in it. But once you know, it becomes one of the most memorable parts of the movie. After Hook has returned from capturing Peter's children in the real world, he goes back to the Jolly Roger in Neverland to gloat in in front of his pirate crew, but also calls out that one pirate that doubted him, and that pirate is Glenn Close in a wig and a beard, who admits her doubt and is placed in the Boo Box, a form of torture where they put scorpions on you when you're trapped in like a pirate treasure chest. Uh, It's not distractingly Glenn Close, but the character is definitely a meaningful cameo as the movie uses it to keep up the threat of Hook, uh, who's sort of presented as a horror villain, even when we go to the fantastical surroundings of Neverland, because that Boo Box is terrifying. Carlos, hit us with a clip. Oh, say it, say it. I did. Yes, you made a boo boo. I did. Mm. I did. The boo box.
2: <laughs> no, no,
1: no, the boo box. No! Yeah. Glenn Close, <laughs> Hook. Now you know.
2: Why doesn't she have an Oscar? Jeez, get <laughs> Glenn Close an Oscar for that alone. All right, my turn, and I'm actually going to largely let my clip speak for me because it's a long boy. So, uh. Uh, without further ado, here is Mad Demon and Euro Trip take it away Carlos.
0: Play a little song for you about the nastiest freakiest little sex puppet I know. Fiona. This one's for you baby. Happy anniversary. <laughs>
2: If I have any more time, I'll just say that this is a favor that Matt Damon did. Uh, the filmmakers, because he was in Prague, and they were in Prague, and he was shaved his head for the Brothers Grimm, and people don't remember the Brothers Grimm, and they may not even remember Euro Trip but they do remember, God, he doesn't know, a true, perfect bop. Matt Damon.
0: Wow. What a tough one to follow. I'm going to try it anyway, though. Let's say you're a secret intergalactic prince who has just successfully saved an entire planet and its air supply from the wrath of the space ball empire. You saved Princess Vespa and returned her home where she can now safely marry Prince Valium. You've also recently learned that Pizza the Hutt, a notorious loan shark who's been chasing you, recently ate himself to death. You have 246 space bucks for lunch, gas, and tolls, and all you want to do is stop by Gus's Galaxy Grill and have a relaxing meal with your loyal friend Barf. When all of a sudden, in the corner of the restaurant, an extremely familiar-looking crew of working-class space truckers has their meal interrupted when one of their members, let's call him Kane, discovers that he has been playing host to a small, chest-bursting alien creature, and you would be in the movie Spaceballs watching John Hurt reprise a very familiar scene. Let's give it a listen. Uh! Waitress! Waitress! Uh! What did he order? Oh, he had a special... That's what I ordered. It takes my uh, order for the soup. Good uh, move. Uh, 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 uh. Oh, oh, no. Not again. <laughs> it's the delivery. It's the timeliness. It's perfect because John Hurt in Mel Brooks's Spaceballs. That is my entry. <laughs>
2: Can I just say, so I grew up watching Spaceballs and not seeing Alien. There's like a whole generation of us who grew up with Spaceballs, not having seen Alien, and like found out later what that was a reference to.
0: Yeah, it's fantastic. I, I want to say that's the order I saw them in as well, was Spaceballs first and then Alien second.
2: Him saying, oh no, not again. You're like, okay, this is a reference to something, which was often my experience watching Mel Brooks movies as a kid. Okay, this is a reference to something. Um <laughs> <laughs>
1: Which you might have been right, but also, oh, no, not again, could just be like a, a you know, one of four jokes and they just threw it in there to like, <laughs> like, this guy's just constantly getting aliens popping out of his chest. Like, it's really hard to tell. It
0: is a potentially still very funny thing, even if alien never existed. Uh, it's, this, it's John Hurt, a very serious, very talented actor doing the silliest possible thing. And uh, that's that's what makes me appreciate it for sure.
1: Yeah, I think all of us are on a we're on a wide spectrum of how much it benefits you knowing that the actor is in there to make the, the cameo work. Um, I think John Hurt, like, like we were discussing, if you know it's John Hurt, it, it makes the cameo great and actually makes it like super surprising. Matt Damon filled in, as you were saying, is like sort of a favor. So it wasn't necessarily cast in that. It wasn't like, hey, we need somebody who's going to be recognizable and famous. Uh, and then mine, Glenn Close doesn't even look like Glenn Close, and as I mentioned, doesn't need to be Glenn Close to operate. So, Joanna, how much do you think it's important uh, that we get a little bit of wink? Do we need a, <inaudible> a Civic- <out> <laughs> when our Professor X floats <laughs> on screen?
2: I think Glenn Close is a really fun one, because I, I honestly, I mean, I was a kid when I saw Hook for the first time, but it wasn't until later in life that I found out that that was Glenn Close at all. As you mentioned, like, it's so easy to watch Hook a million times and not know that the Glenn Close is in there at all. The Matt Demon of it all, something that's really interesting is that, um, like, this is Matt Demon kind of at the height of his powers. Like, he'd done the first Born movie. He's in Ocean's this Eleven. This is Oscar
1: winner yeah, action star Matt, Matt Demon,
2: you know. And also, uh, the- <laughs> there's this great oral history about this appearance that Friend of the Pod Mike Ryan did on Uprocks about the the directors were talking about they went to Harvard with Matt Damon so it was like a favor that they called him because they were old college mates and it, they said in Matt's word he had just stopped smoking and swollen up like a tick right so we were used to seeing like a really really like razor thin Matt Damon and here he shows up like buff shaved head tattoos and piercings and we were like wow what's Matt Damon doing and this is before something that we should notice that we got a ton of listener emails nominating matt damon for other things and i picked this before i saw those emails and i genuinely didn't realize that this is a thing matt damon just freaking loves to do right like interstellar deadpool 2 thor ragnarok fighting forrester like there's all these movies that matt damon just like shows up like if you're making a movie right now pick up the phone and call matt damon and odds are he might just do your movie is what it seems like so uh but this is the beginning of that and i don't know i i think it's does it need a wink? I think th- I think Scotty doesn't know is a bop, no matter what, but like it just really works who Matt Damon was at the time versus what we see on screen there. Do you know the transition
1: I mean? from the talented Mr. Ripley to uh, Matt Damon. Yeah it
0: almost feels like all three of our choices have there's different different types of pleasure that you get when you're experiencing this cameo, right? I think Matt Damon it's all about the first, the surprise recognition that, oh my God, Matt Damon is in, I, I'm just here to see a dumb movie (laughs) called Eurotrip. Why is Matt Damon here? And then he does a just ridiculous thing. I think with Dave's, with Glenn Close and Hook, it's about finding out sort of later. Like that scene is enjoyable on its own. The the whole boo box situation is just very funny. But then finding out later that that's Glenn Close underneath a bunch of makeup is, is really, uh, is really delightful. And then mine, I think is more of like, as Dave mentioned, it's a funny scene without the reference, especially because an alien does some singing and dancing right after hello,
2: this. Hello, <laughs> my baby. Hello, my honey. Hello, Maraca.
0: Um, But I think getting the reference is a lot of the secret sauce of some of some of the space ball. Some of the stuff that works best in space balls that is not part of like the movie's plot, right? Like you get this moment where they reference aliens. You get a really great Planet of the Apes gag later in the ending of the movie. And at the time in 1987, it was like really sort of freshly referencing stuff that had only come out like less than a decade prior, which I think is uh, some of the nostalgia we're experiencing now, right? With a lot of superhero movies where it's like, here's, here's nostalgia from stuff that came out, uh, you know, 10 years ago. So-, <laughs> <laughs> yep. so, yeah, it's three sort of unique experiences um, that you can have with these cameos. I'm- gonna be very curious to see how the listener mix gets in there
1: yeah how important do we think and this is self-serving
0: <laughs> do we
1: think the the actual part needs to be in the in the full the full thing because you got, you two i think i would say there'd be some actually maybe it's not self-serving maybe i'm shooting myself in the foot here we go mine's less surprising Because like Neil noted said, it's like somewhat better if it's like a rewatchable thing. And it's they obviously don't want to draw attention to it. Like how uh, earlier on in the movie, when they're flying off to Neverland, they accidentally sprinkle a kissing couple that floats up. And that's George Lucas and Carrie Fisher. But, like, I've never seen Hook in the definition where I could tell, so, like, that's another thing that I figured <laughs> like, out. Like, genuinely today I learned, right? This moment I learned. I don't think I knew Curry that either. Fisher
2: had to kiss George Lucas for a Hook cameo. Mm.
1: But I think for both of yours, the surprise really kicks in. Mine's fun, and it's maybe unexpected, but there's really only one time that you're going to go, like, oh, and then from then on, it's like in your head, I think, like everybody else. And my time might not be in the theater during the piece of fiction. Does this need to be like a, an integral part? Or is it something that could like save a bad movie? Neil, what do you remember about Eurotrip? <laughs> 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 so
2: no one's advocating for Eurotrip. I think there is like this. Uh, here's here, to your point. I think there's an element of. John hurts and this. Matt Demon's in this?
0: Sure. Glenn
2: Close is in this for all three of them, honestly. Like, uh, genuinely. And I think that Eurotrip is not a good movie, but that's not the point we're arguing here at all.
0: <laughs> yeah, I would say that um, and it's interesting that we've all gone with movies, none of which are super new, right? And I think that that does, there's more to it than just our tastes. I think that it's kind of a little harder nowadays to pull off a really great surprise cameo, right? Like, look at how many cameos Marvel had to stuff into Doctor Strange to make, like, one or two of them surprising. <laughs> so we have we have a selection of slightly older films, and one of the interesting things is they've been around long enough that we can kind of look at them more holistically, their legacy, have these films stood the test of time, do these films still hold up? And I can... I can say 100% yes for Spaceballs. It's still an all-time classic satirical banger. Maybe one of the great satires in the history of cinema. Not at all we're
2: arguing. We're not at all arguing the merit of the film.
0: (laughs) I would say Hook Hook still stands up as being pretty good. A nice wild swing for old Steve. And uh, your trip is the one where I don't know. It's, it's been a while since I've rewatched Eurotrip, but.
2: We should say that before we started recording, <laughs> Neil was like, oh, is Eurotrip one of those movies that we should all now agree is great? And then Dave and I were both like, no, it's not great, Neil. And he's like, oh, okay, excellent ammunition for the gun.
0: Point of clarity. <laughs> uh, my specific question was Is Eurotrip one of those movies that we're going to have to reevaluate soon? Because I know it's coming up on like a 20 or 25 year. Because, right, it's like 2004. So in two years, this movie's going to turn 20. So is assuming Twitter still exists.
2: I don't think there's going to be a bunch of pieces on this because Mike Ryan only wrote the only one you need, which sure. is the oral history of Scottie doesn't know. And all you need to know about your trip is that you can just go watch this YouTube clip of Matt Damon demolishing the spirits of the poor lead of EuroTrip Absolutely. as he grinds on a Smallville actress. <laughs> That's all you need to know.
0: And this all gets to my point, which may actually benefit you in the end, because the question of whether or not it has to be from a good movie can also be overcome by the fact that the Matt Damon cameo in Eurotrip is the only thing I will ever remember from Eurotrip, no matter how many times I see that movie. So it is a cameo that sort of supersedes the quality of its own movie and becomes the movie. Whereas, again, Glenn Close. You have to look it up on IMDb later. And Spaceballs is otherwise one of the great movies of all time, in my opinion. And there's like a bunch of fun stuff in that. So this may actually work in Eurotrip's favor for it to be a really great cameo that overshadows a mm, just okay movie.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure I'm feeling very confident, but maybe there's a pool of listeners out there that is like, you know, we're looking for. They love the uh, subtle stuff. Surprising that isn't. Yeah, that isn't a comedy. Well, that isn't a comedy in the particular scene that I'm talking about, but does still have Robin Williams doing some weird stuff. Anyway, let's, I'm glad we went through all of that without having to talk if we thought Hook was a good or bad movie because let's not talk about that in general. It's enjoyable. I like Hook. I love Hook. I'll defend Hook. Yeah,
0: somehow Hook lands in the middle on this particular Bang,
1: a rang. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's in the middle for me too, but I also like Boobox scared me uh, before I knew it was gliding close. So I'm, maybe I'm too close to it. Let's throw in a fourth pick by narrowing down some submissions from our listeners. Uh, I'm going to start this week with our pick from Adrian, who wrote in, who said, Can a surprise cameo in the final seconds of a film change the destiny, not just of a movie or franchise, but alter the course of movie history itself? <laughs> the answer is, of course, yes. The cameo is none other than that that of Vin Diesel as Dominic Toretto at the end of the Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. This brief but consequential scene managed to turn an enjoyable and mediocre film about a suspiciously old-looking American high school student (laughs) that learns to use a handbrake into the crux of one of the most profitable film franchises in history. This scene didn't just convince executives and fans alike that we need more of Dom's gravelly one-liners. It revealed a relationship between Dom and Han that establishes this film as the nexus point between many of the subsequent films. Tokyo Drift becomes to the series what November 5th, 1955 (laughs) is to Back to the Future trilogy. Within these 90 seconds we see the truth of the fastest franchise, that slick cars and scantily clad slow motion extras are important but nothing is more important than family. Hit us with a clip Carlos. I won it for my friend Han a few years ago. I didn't know he was into American muscle. He was when he was rolling with me. You know this ain't no 10-second race. I got nothing
0: but time.
2: You
0: ready, kid? Vroom. (laughs) So this ain't no 10-second race. (laughs)
2: i actually think the better cameos those guys from tokyo drift coming back for the most recent movie sure it's a second
1: race but it will be it will be for vin Vin diesel the 10 10 installment franchise that's
0: true that's true all right i am up next i've got one that came to us from martha and martha writes for your consideration tom cruise in tropic thunder as a surprise cameo Although you may have known it was him, Tropic Thunder was the first R-rated movie I snuck into at a theater, and I was shocked until the end credits mentioned him. This may not totally be considered a cameo in the traditional sense. We'll debate that in a minute. Uh, but to me, it works because he's playing a character you'd expect Paul Giamatti to play. So let's roll that beautiful- Shots across the bow. Let, let's let's roll that beautiful Thomas Cruise Mapather the Fourth mm. footage, Carlos-
1: Okay. Hello, okay. Les.
0: We, we, okay. we got you loud and clear here, Les. I see you.
1: I see you. I see you. Which one of you fuck faces is Damien
0: Ah, uh, That's me, sir. Uh, it's good to finally meet you at last. Get some face time.
2: And who here is a key grip? You.
0: You. Hit that director in the face. Really fucking hard. <laughs> so there you have it. <laughs> First, the first instructions given by Les Grossman, uh, as played by Tom Cruise in Tropic Thunder.
2: I was trying to, I thought in the planning that we were going to avoid a double Kevin Smith, but uh, uh, we messed up and got here anyway. So here's me doing a pick from our listener, Bertrand, but it's such a good pick. I can't not do it. Bertrand writes, I have never been more surprised or delightedly confused than I was at the end of Kevin Smith's Dogma, 1999. This oddball film offers an apt challenge to the limitations and hypocrisy of the Catholic Church and of organized religion in general. This vibe culminates in the revelation of God, played by the great Alanis Morissette, in a wordless performance. Alanis does a lot, from evoking sorrowful disappointment in one of her fallen angels to shooting Alan Rickman an intense eye roll. Most iconically, Alanis delivers one of the all-time great non-answers to the question of why human beings have been put here on earth a little nose boop and a smile It's not just the silliness of this cameo that makes it surprising but the choice to put an artist who is known for exploring human pain and weakness into the role of god herself alonis becomes a manifestation of the film's thesis that human imperfection should be embraced rather than punished carlos play plays this audio clip of a wordless performance from a <laughs> morrison what the fuck is this shit who the fuck are you lady why the fuck did you hug my hand
0: Quite a little mouth on him, isn't there?
2: What the fuck is this? The piano? Why ain't this broad talking?
0: I believe the answers that you seek lie within my companion's eyes.
2: What the fuck does that mean? Has everyone gone fucking nuts? What the fuck happened to that guy's head? I want some. Neil, remember before when you were like, hey, are we allowed to have an F bomb in our audio clip? <laughs> 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 And I was like, yeah, we are.
0: Yeah, genuinely didn't, uh, didn't expect that the best cameos debate would yield the most curse words in all of our clips. But, I mean, we did double up on Kevin Smith stuff, so um, it had to happen. Although this reminds me that there are, you know, we were talking a little bit in our prep about there are certain directors that are really great at having memorable cameos in their movies, right? Mel Brooks. Has done it in all of his movies. Jim Henson, I think, really built an entire uh, cinematic and televisionary universe around celebrity cameos. (laughs) And then, yeah, Kevin Smith, man. He has, you know, since the beginning, since Kevin Smith was just some weirdo that made a Sundance movie uh, and he was making his first studio film with Mallrats, he was interested in memorable and interesting cameos. And uh, this one, I would say, is maybe the most underrated of the choices so far is alanis morissette as god in dogma because that's that's a really great great surprise right we haven't i don't know if we've talked enough uh, about the element of surprise in these cameos the surprise of the moment when you see them i remember the moment i saw alanis morissette as god in, in dogma and i was just like blown away you know
1: not only because i wasn't expecting like that particular casting from the kevin smith viewers uh, universe at that particular time but also up until that movie when God's trapped in the body of a coma it is a bearded man so I was like here comes another bearded dude but it was it was very surprising to see Alanis out there the second movie we're referencing this week where somebody's voice makes someone's head explode <laughs> <laughs>
0: a lot of commonalities this one this, this selection of listener picks is, is tough I, I think Obviously there are some arguments against Tom Cruise cuz he's in a lot of Tropic Thunder. So it stretches what is uh, a cameo.
2: I think there's a moment in Tropic Thunder where you're watching the movie if you don't know that Tom Cruise is in it, which I didn't, I believe when I went to go to the theater. You're watching it and you but you hear him and you're like, "Holy shit, is that Tom Cruise?" Like I didn't it wasn't until the credits that I knew it was Tom Cruise. Like he sounds like Tom Cruise, but you're still like, "Holy shit." And then also like Tom Cruise has done comedies in his life. He's done a lot of wild stuff, but he's sort of had at that point gotten to a serious action man point in his career that watching him really cut loose in a performance that makes fun of Hollywood a lot for him. The like, you know, Mayor of Hollywood, if you want to. I know, Keanu's the mayor of Hollywood. I don't know who, who, what Tom is. He's a state senator, but like...
0: He's a global ambassador of Hollywood. <laughs> I, think
2: that, yeah. I think that was surprising, <laughs> you know? I'm not surprised to see Vin Diesel in a Fast and Furious movie, even if it's Tokyo Drift. That doesn't surprise me.
0: Here's a question for the Vin Diesel choice. And I think this is another sort of foundational question of this debate, which is, how much does the cameo need... To be related to the film's like plot, right? Or is it okay that the cameo just has like nothing to do with the film's story? Because the diesel one is it, and you know, it just comes up at the end, and it doesn't really have a whole lot to do with what happened in Tokyo Drift.
1: Yeah, what I like about uh, Adrian's argument uh, when he wrote it was that without this cameo, Tokyo Drift has nothing to do with the Fast and Furious franchise, like up until this point. And I think the only thing that made it surprising, it's not surprising now because Vin Diesel is the Fast franchise, is family. Uh, but at that point, they were moving away. Too Fast, Too Furious didn't do what they wanted it to do. They made this little spin-off and they were like, eh, just for fun, let's throw in Vin Diesel here. But it's like, it's weirdly off the timeline of the Fast and Furious franchise. The other movies have to sort of retcon it back into actually happening. I think the most surprising thing about it is that it was... Worked inside Tokyo Drift as much as it did, which isn't like you're saying, Neil, is not a lot. But the surprising thing is its consequence.
0: Yeah. And I do think that uh, the fact that it it forced future fast franchise movies, wow, say that one too many times fast. Uh, (laughs) It forced a lot of retconning later in the franchise is, you know, maybe a point against, right? You wish they would have had it more planned out. But then again, I mean, look at how it turned out. I mean, we got at least four straight bangers out of the head franchise. You make a
2: good point because they made Too Fast, Too Furious and Vin isn't in it. You know what I mean? And and the franchise is spinning. I mean, it continues to spin. Like Tokyo Drift was often considered mm, the least essential mm-hmm. until Han became a fan favorite. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know. I So it's almost
0: a cameo that was made more important by later movies
2: yeah I'm so biased, but I'm leaning towards Alanis. Like, I just I think that reveal is so delightful. I think it was nineteen ninety nine and as to Dave's point, of the, the idea that like God is a is a lady
1: was, you know, you're telling me God played Lilith there years ago
0: <laughs> it's uh, it's tough for me to say too many bad things about Kevin Smith's dogma, even though I know that's a film that not everyone loves. But, like, for me, I think I was like a junior in high school when I saw that movie. Having grown up Catholic, that movie's sort of pretty intense criticisms of the you know the entirety of Catholicism and organized religion spoke to me in a way that also gave me plenty of like poop jokes. So it was really just sort of a perfect (laughs) perfect movie for the right time in my life. So it's hard not to be in love. Dance
2: from (laughs) Samhain, Jesus, you know the real travesty of Dogma, and and people listening might know this is like you can't. I can't rewatch Dogma. 'Cause you can't find it anywhere. Because it's tied up in the whole like Harvey Weinstein Miramax like nonsense. Kevin Smith has talked about this publicly, like that they can't release dogma anywhere. So uh it's hard to reevaluate how what I think about dogma now, but I've really, really fond memories of it. So um like all Kevin Smith movies, there's stuff in there, I'm sure. But like I I that's a good hang, that movie.
1: I think the Tom Cruise part is a part and it's like good enough that I'm Perfectly willing to shave that off. But here's my going to be my argument with uh, Dogma versus uh, Tokyo Drift. You were like, we tried to avoid uh, having you know two Kevin Smith movies in here. Matt Damon stars in this movie, Joanna. You brought two Matt Damons. <laughs> you couldn't even pick between Matt Damon movies that you really wanted to talk about this week.
2: Eurotrip is not a Matt Damon movie.
1: What you're saying is that it's become a Matt Damon
2: movie. <laughs> no, no, no. Euro Trip is a Matt Damon YouTube clip, and Dogma is a Matt Damon movie.
1: Fair, I guess, because you know,
0: you know, out of respect for Matt Damon, right? If Stanley is the cameo king, Matt Damon is very much the cameo prince that was promised Absolutely. for the modern era. So it's I don't know if that works uh, on me as much the the too much Matt Damon because. You know, this is a debate that uh, it was built a lot on Matt Damon being willing to just show up for stuff.
1: I'm just saying, there's a lot of Matt Damon in this week's picks. If we also pick uh, Dogma as our as our fourth spot,
2: we haven't even mentioned like he shows up in Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. There's like a whole. There's so many movies that Matt Damon
1: has just shown up <laughs> a for. A recent the Steven Soderbergh movie, The that, Majestic,
2: probably- like the uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, Jay and Silent Bob Reboot, like you know. Yeah, Matt Damon. Is he under your couch right now, Matt Damon? He <laughs> yeah, might be. Maybe.
1: Matt Damon. <laughs> um, uh, but I would say it's going to throw off our, you know, our math on what uh, what our listeners actually like actor wise. I know from uh, having uh, picked Tom Cruise for my vampire that the listeners don't necessarily like Tom Cruise. Just wow, randomly thrown into their debates. I
0: bet some of them would take issue with that, but. Uh... You know, fair well, point. you should have
1: voted. You should have voted. You should have <laughs> voted for me
0: then.
2: Maybe it's not that they don't care for Tom Cruise. Maybe it's that they don't care for the Vampire stat,
0: you know? Sure, which is also fair. But here's my question, Dave, because you sort of uh, took the first shot in this debate at post credits and late. I, I guess you could say post credits, mid credits, even like right at the end sort of cameos
1: Mm -hmm. you're saying you're saying i like worded something to make my listener pick still valid
0: does the fact that this sort of happens at the end of the movie diminish its uh its potency
1: i do think it's diminished in its movie while it is elevated by its franchise but like that's also something that shouldn't be necessarily contingent if we're okay with multiple matt damon movies sure then i I, I'm willing to go with Alanis. I just wanted to point it out here. The Matt Damon of it all. This week's Matt Damon debate. It's
2: not It's not my fault he's cameoed in so many things.
1: Matt Damon, despite being in Dogma, is uh, going to round out and make a second movie appearance on our poll because Bertrand wins a listener pick this week, meaning our four picks are Alanis Morissette and Kevin Smith's Dogma, John Hurt and Spaceballs, Matt Damon and Eurotrip, Glenn Close and Hook. It's time for closing arguments from your hosts. We're gonna start this week with Neil and John Hurt and Spaceballs.
0: Well, I will end it by by saying this. First, it does matter that the movie is good. Mine is obviously the best movie. <laughs> It also matters that it's a legendary actor, legendary, serious, award-winning actor delivering an amazing 45-ish second performance. (laughs) And it's uh, it's a really great moment uh, that also ends with an Alien song and dancing. And it wasn't in the original trailer. So I bet it surprised people like crazy in 1987. Uh, Still surprises me uh, every time because I feel like I forget it. Anyway, John Hurt. In Spaceballs, legendary cameo referencing another legendary movie. Vote for John Hurt. There you go.
2: For my closing argument, I would just like to acknowledge the band Lustra that wrote the song Scotty Doesn't Know and thank them for the following lyrics. I can't believe he's so trusting while I'm right behind you thrusting. Fiona's got him on the phone and she's trying not to moan. It's a three-way call and he knows nothing. Nothing. God, he doesn't know.
1: And finally, Glenn Close and Hook, who had this to say about her appearance in that movie, I visited the set of Hook because Robin Williams was a friend of mine, and I took along my little girl, Annie, who was about three years old, explains Close. And when we got there, Steven Spielberg said, do you want to be a pirate? And I said, sure. So I got a beard and a costume, and the script supervisor girl came on to me. She thought I was a man. In fact, In fact, nobody guessed I was a woman for three days. I'm pretty proud of that. Glenn Close is proud of it. Reward her career highlight that isn't the butt and <laughs> vote for her in Hook. I just realized that this is
2: like basically the Alfred Knobs prequel is
1: her <laughs> yes? <Hook. laughs> that quote I just gave was from an interview promoting Alfred Knobs, <laughs> where so they're funny. just like, can we start with Hook? And she's like, yeah, we can start with Hook. So funny. I could play a good man. <laughs> all right, guys, you can find all of the polls uh, at theringer.com on at ringer on Twitter and in the Spotify app where you find trial by content, you could choose the winner and we'll announce it next week. Plus it dictates who gets to go first for next week's topic, which is what Neil?
0: Ooh, next week we've got another fun one. This one should be very open to, well, not, not open to a ton of interpretation, but there's plenty of options. next week we will be debating the best movie based on a TV show. The movie has to have come out after and be adapted from an existing television show similar to the way they're still putting out Downton Abbey movies, which uh, that used to be <laughs> a TV show. Anyway, you can send your picks and a few sentences to support your pick to content at gmail.com. You can also use that email address to send us your suggestions for future Trial by Content topics. If there's a great pop culture debate that you would like to hear us settle, just send it on over. That email address again, trialbycontent at gmail.com.
1: All right, now it's over in your hands. You get to vote. Vote for me. This episode was produced by Carlos Cherubo.
2: doesn't
0: know Zapiona and me <laughs> do it in my fan every sunday <laughs> it's really the face that he makes when he says that that just takes it up to another level
2: then the tongue comes out <laughs> the whole thing
0: Matt damon you really are the prince of this debate
1: Matt damon <laughs>